the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. everyone and welcome to the batman universe comic podcast episode number 240 today i have with me two special hosts they are this is donovan and this is ian and we are bringing you a special episode of the comic cast we are here to review the dark knight returns the last crusade number one which was a one shot released in 2016 now you may be asking yourself why is this popping up on the comics feed well if you remember correctly and you've been listening to the comic cast for quite some time there's been a number of comic series that have come out over the years specifically and more specifically in the last couple years a lot of mini series that are batman related that we haven't been covering because they're not part of main continuity there's been a lot of one shots and things like that and we have in the past we've done some some specials on the batman universe specials for certain for very specific one shots and things like that like we did Batman Earth 1. We've done some other ones. But instead of rather doing it as a special over on that feed, I think since it's comic related, let's do it here. Um, there's a couple opportunities every once in a while for us to get an extra episode out because of the five Wednesdays per month. January just happens to be one of those five Wednesdays uh, this time around. So normally we would have a week off and you'd have an extra episode of Bat Books for Beginners. So this time around, instead of an extra episode of Bat Books for Beginners, you get an extra episode of Comic Cast. So not sure exactly how often we're going to do this. I'm hoping to do it once a month, but there's no guarantees there. Obviously, there's not five Wednesdays per month, too. So if we do start doing this on a more regular basis, we might start releasing these on some other day besides Friday, like uh, the Comic Cast normally releases. But the idea is the series and one shots and things like that have come out since basically like 2011, since we started not covering everything every episode. And there's a lot of it. There's a ton of it. And then there's also some stuff that I'd like to go back to and actually cover as a more of a collected, more or as like an entire story instead of just individual issues. There's things like that. There's also series, some of the Greater Gotham stuff, like Grayson, for example. Some of the Grayson stuff collected is really really well done, and it would be great to cover it, but it makes more sense to cover it collected rather than individual issues. So that's the hope. Um, obviously, this is also the idea of starting to do these more often and cover some of this other stuff outside of the normal comic release stuff. It has a lot to do with our trying us trying to expand what we cover on a normal basis because it is our 10th anniversary and I'm feeling like we should be expanding our coverage as much as we possibly can. So we're going to have these specials come out, like I said, hopefully every month. We're going to kick it off with one that came out in 2016, The Dark Knight Returns, The Last Crusade, number one. Um, So if you've listened to the comic cast or ever before, or if this is your first time listening to the comic cast, basically the way it works is we normally give you a synopsis. It's full of spoilers generally, so just be warned. Obviously, you probably wouldn't be listening to this if you were just expecting us to review the book and not actually give you a synopsis based off of what we do on the comic cast. So the review, the synopsis is going to be very spoiler filled. Then we're going to talk about some different things and discussion points related to the book. And then that's basically what we're going to do instead of being exactly like the comic cast where uh, basically one person leads the discussion with three, two or three questions. We're just going to have an open forum to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And the hosts are going to change every single episode. So let's dive straight into this book. (laughs) 
So, The Dark Knight Returns, The Last Crusade number one, was written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello, with art by John Romita Jr. The book opens up with the Joker being institutionalized in Arkham again after being caught by Batman, again after escaping from Arkham yet again. <laughs> A fact that the Joker relishes. Cue the Miller Dark Knight staple talking heads discussing how the apprehension of the Joker and whether or not the inclusion of Robin in Batman's activities could be considered child endangerment as they consider him to be a boy. The next morning, Robin is itching to get going on training, but an aging Batman delays him. The years have caught up with him, and he isn't bouncing back as quickly after a night of fighting. After medicating, he shows us that he still has quite a bit to offer sparring with Robin. Despite being older and slower, he overcomes Robin's assault with patience strategy. The session is cut short by Alfred with news of a personal nature. A wealthy contemporary of Bruce Wayne has been found dead. Talking to the widow, he finds that his once level-headed friend has gotten involved in something running through the family's wealth. With the Joker locked away in Arkham, his gang has moved on to other mischief-making. Batman and Robin bust in on them, robbing a pharmacy. Again, Batman's aging and reflexes are highlighted through the initial fight and ensuing car chase. The situation is resolved quickly when the gang's van is run off the road. Batman does the hero thing and starts getting the gang out of the van before it explodes, only to allow another member to get the drop on him. Robin saves the day, but in a rather brutal manner, tending not to enjoy it. But Batman knows the truth. Back in Arkham, the Joker gives a soliloquy on the nature of the natural perspective and force perspective while the inmates progressively get more agitated. The next day, Bruce Wayne is now retired, is, is with a now retired Selina Kyle. They discuss Bruce's aging and, and gets to the root of why he's not yet retired. Jason Todd isn't ready to be on his own. He also admits he isn't quite ready for the civilian life as of yet. There is another interlude of a commercial for Mothers Against Batman, criticizing him for taking the law into his own hands and dispensing violent judgment as he see fits. The night that night, another of Gotham's wealthy residents is being behaving bizarrely. This time, a man has taken his wife hostage to prove how much he loves her. But Batman, dis, Batman and Robin dissolve the situation. Robin again takes things a step beyond Batman's comfort zone, choosing to disarm the man by not knocking him, knocking away the gun, but attacking his arm. Soon after, Batman and Alfred have the talk about Jason. He is cold and lacks empathy. Batman has been choosing very skilled protégés, but none have matched his brilliance. Talk, uh, taking in the clues from the behavior of the men, he has determined Poison Ivy must be a possible culprit. Old-fashioned detective work ties the two victims to a company called Green Vein. Very on the nose there. In Arkham, the Joker's plan is taking shape as he, as his control over the inmates has begun to take hold. Batman and Robin's search for Green Vein takes them naturally to a sewage plant. Here, Batman takes the lead and has Robin ride the bench. He encounters Killer Croc within the plant who seems to be running communications for her. While he is brokering a deal with the latest wealthy victim, Batman unwittingly makes his presence known, further hammering home the idea that Batman has lost a step. Croc gets the drop on him in the ensuing skimmish, receiving one heck of a beating. As Croc continues to rain down pain, the police show up, called to the scene by Robin. Batman, in a more physical and emotional pain, discusses with Selina Kyle whether or not he is addicted to being Batman. There's another interlude showing a TMZ-style Gotham gossip show reporting on the injuries sustained to the third victim who escaped the scene of the fight the previous night. Batman and Robin tail him to the Gotham Botanical Gardens, where we find his obsession, and that of the previous victims, is in fact Poison Ivy. Simultaneously across town, the Joker instigates his pan plan, a well-timed full-scale riot which covers the nonchalantly strolling out the front door of Arkham into the night. 
Back at the garden, we see that Poison Ivy has a menage of a menagerie of wealthy men under her influence, and she's been using them for money and gifts. A fight ensues where Ivy orders the men under her control to fight on her behalf. Whereas Batman acknowledges the innocence of the men and takes them down as gently as possible, Robin goes full force against them. In that moment, Batman realizes that he trained Robin to be an attack dog. He calls him calls out to him to back off the violence, but that allows Killer Croc to get the drop on him yet again. Beatings come again while Robin finishes off the victims of Ivy's control. Eventually, Batman gains the upper hand and beats down Croc while Robin captures Ivy. The news report the news reports that Joker escaped from Arkham and Batman admits that he is in no shape to handle the Joker due to the abuse that he suffered from Killer Croc. Robin insists on going back out to deal with the Joker situation, but is shut down. They both need to rest before they can deal with anything else. Robin lurks momentarily in the shadows while Batman and Alfred continue their talk on legacy and that Jason Todd isn't ready to take up the mantle and may never be. He's wild and headstrong and enjoys the fight too much. The pair resolve that Jason is not beyond saving and that Batman has to teach him better than himself. Fortunately, Robin has ignored Batman's advice and gone after the joke. Goons get the jump on him and the rest of the story is a familiar one if you've read Death in the Family. Close in on the Joker smiling. All right, so uh, first thing I want to talk about is did you really feel like this was a Frank Miller type story? I mean, this is Frank Miller with Brian Ezrello. It's not just a straight Frank Miller story like the original Dark Knight Returns or even Dark Knight Strikes Again. But did you feel as if this story was slightly muted compared to some of other Frank, some of Frank Miller's other takes on Batman? Um, it's definitely restrained in the way that, like, uh, for the most part, I could tell what was going on, um, which I, which I've not been able to tell, uh, what was going on for, for a number of, most of Frank Miller's Batman stories post Dark Knight. Uh, I see what you're saying that, like, the narrative is much clearer and, um, I think it's, it's easier to kind of follow. I, I, w- I wasn't really getting, I don't know if I actually put in the effort to understand the Joker scenes, what he was talking about. I mean, it was, it was kind of just watching the artwork, but where Batman was concerned, yeah, it was very kind of like plain language. Um, but it did, it did not feel like a Miller story. I think that, like, um, John Romita Jr.'s pencils, especially with Klaus Jensen's inks, Klaus Jensen inked uh, uh, Miller back in the Dark Knight Returns days, like, it evoked enough of the kind of, like, uh, the imagery and the aesthetic of Dark Knight Returns. Like, Batman's costume is kind of like in that first chapter where he kind of has the leg, be- the leg belt and, like, the yellow oval. Um, it looks enough like it to where it's not, like, a totally different story, but it feels right because it it's, it's takes place about, like, ten years before. Um, and it's a little, it's, it's not as crazy as that book got, but, um, so I, I think it was kind of a restrained story that maybe as helped on the script but um it didn't feel totally alien so I, i'll guess yes and no it's hard for me to tell what quote-unquote real frank miller is because he's had at least three distinct voices that he's written with there's his young and hungry voice that you see in the original dark knight returns and batman year one and daredevil uh born again and i would say that's definitely where he's the most both creative and controlled and then here there's his incredibly crazy period where he did uh all-star batman and robin Dark Knight Strikes Again, a um, bunch of other stuff. I, I would say Sin City is probably a transition from his more controlled stuff to his really, really crazy stuff. And then he started partnering with people, and that sort of restrained him. But I think it also has muted some of his genius. Like, if you... I am not a fan of Dark Knight Returns. I don't find it terribly interesting, but it is one of the most controlled works of art that I've read. It's just incredibly well crafted. And I think that um, Daredevil, Born Again, and Batman Year One are true masterpieces. Like, just the way he constructs characters and scenes, especially collaborating with great artists like David Musk Kelly, um, he, he is unparalleled in his ability to write that street-level vigilante. This is a lesser Frank Miller. It is good, uh, but it, it's 
just not to that level of those 80s works. Paradoxically, because he's so much older now, it's much better at capturing what it's like to be an old man doing the kinds of crazy stuff Batman does. Um, so I look at, you know, his action scenes with Killer Croc and I'm reminded of the fight with the mutants in Dark Knight Returns. And I'm just like, this is supposed to be him 10 years earlier? And he's like failing with Killer Croc and Poison Ivy takes him down. Whereas with the mutants, he was just like a machine. So, you know, it's it's funny. This this is lesser, but it's also in some ways more seasoned. So there, there's more insights, I think, that it has to offer sometimes. I definitely agree. And I like how you said that there's three different versions of Frank Miller, because I think that's extremely true. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these versions that are some of the more recent stuff that we've seen from him, specifically the DK3, Dark Knight 3, the Master Race. Um, a lot of people, including us over on the comic cast, said that that was didn't always feel like Frank Miller. And sometimes the only Frank Miller that actually felt like it was happening was some of the stuff that was happening in the backups, um, which I don't think he was drawing those. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, I think a lot of it also had to do with the fact that um, there was it it did feel more like Dark Knight Returns, a lot less like Dark Knight Strikes Again. I think that's where the comparison comes from, where, you know, we we both we, we all know that Frank Miller wrote both of those series, but they're very, very different. Just like you said, there's there's almost like there's three different versions of Frank Miller. So the 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 interesting thing for me is I definitely feel I, I can feel Brian Azzarello's influence here. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, as stated, it is the Frank Miller's third stage where he's basically working with other people and it is slightly muted. You can tell that there is a distinct difference between some of the stuff and you can tell like some of the stuff you just brought up, Ian, with like, you know, this is only supposed to be 10 years before Dark Knight Returns. Yet for some reason, he's having he's struggling taking on certain certain villains, despite the fact that in Dark Knight Returns he doesn't have those issues even without the armored suit. So it's interesting to me because it feels like that's an Azarello aspect that he's adding to the story or that that's his influence on the story. That might not be the case, but that that's how it feels like it is to me. So um, the the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting about this issue is is isn't technically truly a a, a graphic novel because it is much smaller than normal. Um, it's only about sixty four pages, which I say sixty four like pages. It's, yeah, it's basically like two double. It's two issues basically. Um, nowadays, comics you could probably get a com- you can get a comic four ninety nine thirty two pages. I think Doomsday Clock is like that right now with thirty two pages for that price. Um, and it's basically two times that. Now the price when it originally released was six ninety nine, which for sixty four pages, at least compared to what today's prices are, it's actually not that bad of a deal. Um, but it does feel as if the story could have been more if given the extra pages or the story could have been longer. And maybe this was all the story that there was to tell and that was it. And that's why it ended up only being this. That's entirely possible. But it just feels like there could have been other aspects of Batman's life, you know, dived into um, more more history about the Robins and the former protégés within this confines of this universe. It feels like there could have been more added to it if they wanted to. Now, certainly if this was what they intended on doing was just doing something like this, like you said, Don, the, you know, the same size as um, Killing Joke, you know, something like that. If that's what they were aiming for, okay, fine. It just feels like there could have been something more. How did you guys feel about that? Um, I gotta say that, like, uh, I, not not to kind of show my hand too early, but I was I was very impressed with 
this story. Um, I've not really loved a Frank Miller Batman story since year one, if we're going chronologically in terms of when this, when this came out. Um, I was actually just talking to uh, uh, Bertone earlier tonight, saying that like like All-Star Batman and Robin's artwork is excellent, but the writing is not, as, as everyone knows. Um, that writing is insane. Yeah, yeah. This, I felt, I felt was sort of a... When they announced the story, I was like, I don't really care to read that. And like, I kind of just read it just out of like morbid curiosity. But I felt that this was like a really well done story. And like, they could have told more about, you know, because the Dark Knight Returns universe is always very vague. It, you know, it, it acknowledges there's a DC universe, but we don't get like terms of eras. Like, we don't know if there's like a Teen Titans or we know there's a Justice League, but we don't know how many heroes are on there besides what they show in Dark Knight Strikes Again. So like, they keep it vague. And I kind of like that. I don't, I don't necessarily, I personally wasn't needing to know more about like, you know, like, oh, where's, where's Lucius Fox or where's the other characters? I thought that what they showed this was was fine enough. Um, so I thought it was fine. I, I I didn't I didn't I wasn't necessarily wanting more as brief as it was because the storytelling was kind of so compact. I, I was happy with what they gave us. I think the big thing, and the reason I say this is lesser Frank Miller, is because if you look at his previous stuff, he's either incredibly spare or incredibly interlaced. So uh, year one's just really spare. He's he's straightforward. He has absolutely no wasted time, no wasted panels in year one. It's straight shot beginning to end. This is Batman. This is Gordon. This is why it exists. Dark Knight Returns is full of interlace. It's got so many mirrorings and thematic parallels and everything is just so tightly constructed together, even though it's a baroque story that goes in so many bizarre directions. It's it's all there for a purpose. I feel like here you've got three major villains. You've got Joker, Ivy, and Killer Croc. None of them connect thematically to Bruce's struggle of aging and, and his legacy, the darkness in Jake Jason. Um, so so there's not there's not really a sense that it had to be Joker, Ivy, and Croc. Like it could have been Two Face. Penguin and Man Bat. Like, it, it doesn't feel like the Joker, Ivy, and Croc are there for anything other than the Joker's iconicness, and we know he has to kill Jason. But I feel like, um, I mean, that's just because I didn't really like Donovan. I didn't read the Joker part super seriously. Um, but I do think that there's just not the same level of craftsmanship um, as, as you see in his earlier stuff. Um, so I think that's probably why it either feels too long or too short. I think I think it's fine. Like, it's, it's definitely high-quality uh, storytelling with John John Romita Jr. and Frank Miller's gift for dialogue, but it doesn't it doesn't seem to mean more than just the story of how Jason Todd died. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would, I would, I don't know if I would land on that exactly because the larger story is kind of why Batman retired, which is kind of you know explains the lead up to Darknet Returns. And although the selling point was this, you know, you finally see the lost tale between how this Jason died, which which really turned me off when they announced it. I think what surprised me was that like it was this is more of a Batman like a Bruce Wayne story, and Jason figures into this, but Jason's not the main character. And I kind of liked that approach because it it is it does kind of bleed more into like sort of the justification for you know the onset of ba- the Darknet Returns. Uh, point of view um, because 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 I, I think it kind of plays into things that would have had to happen he would he was getting older he was questioning himself and he was unsure of how he would continue his legacy and like with Jason gone he just stops everything I, I think that like uh, even though this it, th- there's not as large of a sort of 
um, labyrinthian sort of like thematics going on as DKR was. I don't think it had to be, and I, th- and I think that like what I, I think that um, what it does tell is necessary to kind of justify itself, even if that is sort of a, a relatively smaller thing. Yeah, I it, definitely agree. It's just well crafted, but it's I feel like it doesn't. It's totally unnecessary because we already knew. Because you mentioned, you know, Robin died, and um, like all all of the events are are referred to in DKR. So I think that while this is is definitely fun, it's a good read. I just um, when you think about the legacy of Frank Miller, sure, the completionists are going to have this. You know, you've got your probably the completionists will put it before Dark Knight Returns chronologically, so you get Last Crusade, Dark Knight Returns, Dark Knight Strikes Again, Dark Knight Master Race. You get all that. But I think if if you look at like what gets passed down from fan to fan, it's going to be Dark. Dark Knight Returns. And there's going to be a smaller audience that loves uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again, and then probably people who grew up in the the era that Dark Knight Master Race was being published will like that too. But it's Dark Knight Returns that's going to be remembered, and I think that this while well-crafted isn't going to have the same kind of impact. I definitely agree with that. There's no... There's no- I don't think there's a debate about whether or not this will be remembered in the same same category as something like Dark Knight Returns by any means. But I think that, you know, just because it's a well-crafted story doesn't make it a memorable one. I mean, like, ultimately, they're retelling a story just in a different universe. And I think I also enjoyed this issue, there's or this, this story, but I don't think that just because the individual issue is good or great makes it as good or great as something like Dark Knight Returns. I mean, even though it's in that same universe it's set in that same world i just don't feel like honestly it's one of those things where when you read a story my thought process is always if you take it out you know if if you've got multiple volumes and you have the first volume is this second volume is that third volume is this this is kind of like the prelude to volume one so you could consider it volume one i guess if you really wanted to chronologically that is and the question is if you take out this volume does it matter does it affect anything else and no it doesn't i don't think that it affects dark knight returns at all i mean like if anything it just sets the stage tells ever tells us kind of what happened with the Robin uh, you know with Robin that is and why there's such a disdain for Joker but I mean like you don't really need to know that in order to un, you know to appreciate what happens to Dark Knight Returns I think that's where the concern is is that can you tell a story can you tell a story that is part of another story that takes place either before or after and if it doesn't change anything is it really something that's super memorable and I don't think it is I mean like I have no problem admitting that this was a well-crafted issue and it was a good story, but I don't feel like it's going to be remembered for, you know, up, it's not going to be in the, you know, it's not going to be listed off on the top 10 list of Batman comics or probably even the top 25. Well, the well at that thing, point, sorry, um, go ahead. Well, I think at that point, uh, it's a, it's a matter of is it an observation that this that you you could go with you through your life without reading it or is it an active detriment to its own to its own existence? Um, I don't. Dark Knight Returns is a great story, um, but I don't necessarily. It's not you know the bed that like my Batman Rock was founded on exactly. I mean, in some ways it was because it's so influential, but like I don't hold that story in such a regard that any other story that shares its name has to be as good. Otherwise, it 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 annoys me so i don't i mean it's not that it's annoying it's just that i'm just saying like i i I definitely am there with you in saying that you know dark knight returns is not something that i literally say this is the epitome of what batman book should be i'm not there either because i didn't this wasn't a book that changed my life i mean there's plenty of people and writers out there who are currently writing on books that said when they were in college they read dark knight returns and it changed their entire thought process behind comics and things like that i'm not one of those people this book came out when i was or, you know, Dark Knight Returns, that is, came out when I was like two or three years old. So it's not like it it has a a humongous effect on me. Yes, it influenced other things. But what I'm saying is, look at it from the perspective of, is this going to be a story that is memorable? 
you just answered that question. Well, whether it is or not, I think that I mean I I don't know if we should judge stories on whether or not they're memorable. We should judge them whether they're good. Right, and, and I, right, but I'm just saying like comparing it to some of the other titles. Would you you know something like Dark Knight Returns? Is it as memorable? Does it have a lasting effect as something like that? I'm not, judging it, saying it's good or bad is a completely different thing. I'm just saying, like, comparing it to some of the other great Batman works, do you think it's on par? I think there's something that I was thinking about when I was doing my prep um, is that um, a lot of what Miller thinks about, Miller and Azarella thinks about in Last Crusade is this idea of legacy and how Jason isn't ready and might never be. Um, and that's a whole another, the, the discussion of Jason's characterization is something that I think we should touch on. But what I'm getting at is this was written in the middle of dark Knight master race. Um, and that book is almost like the, not origin story, but it, it is the big graduation of Carrie Kelly, from Robin to first Batman impersonator, then Batgirl, and finally Batwoman. Um, and she is, at least in Dark Knight Master Race, clearly promoted as a worthy legacy. And I, so I think that one of the things that um, Last Crusade is doing for Frank Miller is exploring what's the wrong legacy? Why is Carrie Kelly a good legacy and why was Jason wrong? And so I think in that it does have a certain value. Um, I mean, I'm a bat family fan first and foremost, Batman is good, but I care more about the family he forms around himself. So um, this exploration of that relationship is probably the strongest element for me. And so I think in that sense, it will last, um, but in terms of having influence or, or really being something that people will return to and reread, other than for, I think, probably the, the craftsmanship, is, it's not really going to, to change anything like Dark Knight Returns did. Dark Knight Returns was a major tonal shift. Um, this is basically more of the same with, with excellent craftsmanship. I definitely agree. I think that like my, my final word would just kind of be me repeating myself in in the way that like um, I think if you if you were to answer the question, is this going to be a memorable Batman story in the next decade or so? I think it's it's it would be very interesting if it was because I think the easy answer would be no. Once that once you say no, the next question would be okay. What does it offer in its own merits? And that kind of to me it's it's kind of a a, a very brief stop in terms of the discussion of the story rather than sort of you know kind of holy and holy and high because I, I, I think you kind of just arrive at that with any other story i although i do understand the question because it is a dark Knight returns kind of tie-in yeah i i agree i think that in terms of is this a story that if you came back to it 10 years later would you read it and enjoy it i think the answer is yes i think it's well crafted and so it will hold up um i mean there's there's tons of great batman stories like that like i've read a couple like denny o'neill stories from the 1970s i have no idea what was going on in continuity but they're just good solid stories but do i think that they're quote-unquote important nah i mean at this point i think the only the only stories that are actually important are the ones that uh, introduce characters or um play to certain things that kind of develop the characters like 
like Nightfall is important because it introduces Bane and it introduces, you know, the idea of replacing Batman. Because I think that was the first time that's ever been done. But like otherwise, you have, you just got to get to your like you know, Detective Comic thirty eights and Detective two fifty nines and all that kind of stuff. Rather than um, if it, if story is important or not, because it's always you know uh, vulnerable to continuity and whatever editor sees what's in what's in what counts and what doesn't. Yeah, and that's definitely true. And I think a part of that has to do with the fact that nowadays the way comics are is if there can be great single issues, like for example. Uh, this is going back to last year, but when uh, Tom King told the, the the Batman Catwoman story where they, the two of them were on the rooftop, it's a great single issue. I love that single issue. Is that super memorable? No. I mean, I remember it because it wasn't even a year ago, but am I going to still remember that story and bring it up in like two, three years? Probably not. But as a standalone single story, it was really well done. And especially with given the stuff that he was currently doing at the time, that was probably some of the best stuff that he had done at the time. That being said, it's definitely one of those things where nowadays it feels as if the important stuff that most people are going to remember is like you said, Don, the people, the things that either introduce new characters or the other part is massive events, like something like nightfall or something that just like you said, developed develops the characters in some different unique way. Um, One of the things that, that I find interesting about this is, You know, there has been talk over the – this was before DK3 wrapped up. But before DK3 wrapped up, there was actually talk out there talking about that there was a potential that they had – that Frank Miller had this idea for a fourth volume. Even though they went into Dark Knight 3 with the idea that that was going to be the final one, they said it was going to be the final one, and then all of a sudden halfway through he said he had ideas for a fourth volume. Now, if they continue to do it and – I remember on the comic cast we had talked talked about this where you know it was there the potential to basically have an ongoing series that was part of the Dark Knight universe. They had introduced multiple characters and focused on them and developed some of the other heroes within the Dark Knight universe. Uh, one of the main complaints that we had with DK3 on the comic cast was that it didn't feel like a Batman story it was more of a Superman story. Um, Frank Miller has said that he has a Superman story in mind within the Dark Knight, within the confines of the Dark Knight universe. Oh God! So the, wait, the, isn't he doing Superman Year One or something? I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know enough. I don't pay a ton attention that much to the Batman stuff. But if it is taking place within, I mean, that makes sense. But I just remember him saying he had ideas for fourth volumes. There was talk. I remember us talking about on the comic cast that that there was multiple rumors that they could be potentially starting a new universe within the confines of the DC universe, but just have it be like an Elseworlds type universe where it was all Dark Knight 3 stuff and they could do different stories, different minis, different focus on different characters that were part of the universe that were introduced. And that would explain partially why there were so many other characters that popped in DK3 was that idea. Now, none of that has actually happened and it's been a little bit of time since the, you know, DK3 wrapped up. None of that has actually happened. Nothing's been said. We haven't heard anything since DK3 wrapped up. But if it was to be true where they were starting this pocket universe where they could tell stories as part of this Dark Knight universe and things like that, I think that this story actually could be considered one of the better groups of stories at least in the beginning because Honestly, I didn't like DK3 all that much. I, I mean, like, it's not it was kind really, of it's not horrible like like uh, Strikes Again, but it was not, like, I didn't like it. Like I said, I felt like 
more of a Superman slash what Justice League member can uh, you know make a guest appearance per issue than it did an actual Batman story. It just felt like Batman was involved. It was more of like a Dark Knight three, the Justice League. In any, you know, in my I didn't mind, even finish it. I dropped it after like I, after I was uh, not the reviewer anymore. Yeah, I mean, like I, I just didn't enjoy it that much. I'm not going to say it was well, it was poorly done or anything like that. It's definitely better than Strikes Again, but this issue, the the Last Crusade, was actually probably one of the lighter, the not lighter, the the better moments that I had with the return of the Dark Knight Universe stuff was because when I read this and I thought. Wow, this is really good. You know, it's it's uh, it's a good story. It's not so. It's not completely you know ripping apart characters that we already know. Sure, the characters are slightly different than you know the normal universe, but that makes sense because it takes place in this you know this alternate universe. But that being said, like if you were to start a pocket universe, this probably I think would be super memorable if there was an ongoing continuation of that Dark Knight universe. Because this is a really good story as part of it, and when you compare it to DK3, Strikes Again, it doesn't really hold up. Now, yes, Dark Knight Returns is by far much better, in my opinion, That, but that doesn't – when you're c- combining all the Dark Knight Universe stories together, this actually is a really good story and much better, in my opinion, than DK3 and Strikes Again. I think there's two things going on. Um, Frank Miller is doing Superman Year One. If I had to guess, I'd say it's probably loosely connected to his entire body of work because he thinks that Batman Year One is the same universe as um, Dark Knight Returns. Uh, editorial doesn't agree with him, but he's the one writing it, so he's going to write it that way. Um, when he was expressing his interest in writing a fourth Dark Knight story, my read was that he enjoyed doing what he was doing on Dark Knight 3, but he really was frustrated at the lack of control. Um, I think Miller benefits from a co-writer, but he also loses a lot, and he knows it. He knows that he's not creating at the top of his game when he's with a co-writer. And so I think that um, when he was talking about doing a fourth one, that's really what it was doing. I think the other thing that happened in the last two years is, of course, Rebirth. Um, and that is the expansion or inclusion of Watchmen, the other major thing in the 80s that changed DC Comics um, into normal continuity of some sort. We still haven't, obviously, Doomsday Clock is still going on right now, so we don't know how that's going to play out. But um, I think DC doesn't have a lot of juice to push um, multiple nostalgia-driven stories, especially when one of them is directly connected to their their cash cow of the main continuity, and the other one is is basically just an artistic pet project. So I think um, we're not going to see an ongoing Dark Knight series. We're not going to see like it being integrated into uh, the canon as a possible future the way that Batman Beyond was, or the, the Titans of Tomorrow have been recently. I think that Unless Frank Miller gets significantly more healthy and energetic, we're going to see Superman year one in the next four years, and then we'll see where he goes from there. But I think that DC doesn't have people they want to put on a Dark Knight universe ongoing or even like a quarterly or even a yearly. They, they just don't have people. They're, they're putting all their energy in this Watchmen stuff. And Miller is, I mean, he's, he's not in great shape, I don't think. 
well, that's been the conversation for uh, a couple of years now. I mean, it doesn't really matter to me because, like, um, beyond the first issue, out of morbid curiosity, I probably won't be reading it uh, because they've kind of there is a sense of dilution with these Dark Knight stories because beyond the '80s stuff, who has adored this this series? They're just, they're just big sellers because of the name. Um, I think that like everyone kind of recognizes that whether you liked or disliked this, these 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 like you know post year one post Dark Knight Returns books, it's name recognition more than actual quality. And even though Miller is an icon in the industry, I mean, I I would say that his last great work was Sin City, and since then it's just been kind of selling the name because his 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 own perspectives are so insular and known only to him that like some of his stuff is just ridiculed off, off the map. Um, and that's not me, like kind of being mean or whatever. That's just kind of like you know, the situation. No, you're absolutely right. That is the critical consensus. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was also looking up uh, when you said the thing about Superman Year One uh, that was announced back in July of 2015 at San Diego. There at DC's Masterclass panel, there was announced, and there was basically no word on when it's happening, other than John Romita Jr. was going to be doing it. it was supposed to be a hundred-page graphic novel. That's all the only details that were ever revealed. But to put in perspective, for those of you out there who don't keep track of comic news and announcements and things like that, there are certain projects that get announced way, way, way before they're ever even close to being done. Um, A recent example of this is Batman Creature of the Night. It's currently a four-issue miniseries that's that's being published uh, from Kurt Busiek and John Paul Leon as the artist. Um, But the the series itself was first hinted at way back in 2011 um, where it was first revealed that it was going to be happening. And then it wasn't until 2017 where it was actually solicited. So six years later, and this has happened before Batman Europa was one that was announced like three years before it actually ended up happening. Um, I want to say off the top of my head, there's been a couple of other ones more recently. There's, there's um, there was, a couple of other ones. But anyway, the point is stuff sometimes gets announced way before. Oh, there was, there's still a project out there that supposedly Mark Silvestri has been working on that was announced back in like 2012 that he, every once in a while we receive this random update saying that, you know, he's still working on it, you know, five, six years later. So the point is, even if there's a graphic novel coming Superman year one, who knows when that's going to happen. Now, the interesting thing was I did find an interview that was done with uh, Frank Miller, this was the around the time of like halfway through the through DK three, where he said that Brian Azzarello was uh, because Brian Azzarello was working with him on volume three. He was going to be doing volume four by himself. And even though his name appeared on the last couple issues, the way the interview went, and who knows if this is just because he had a bad day or whatever, or DC publicity wasn't you know with him or what, but it seemed as if based off the interview that he basically was saying that, Hey, I, uh, I'm going to be doing a volume four because Brian Azzarello has basically strong armed me into, you know, taking over DK three. Um, basically his exact words were, I thoroughly applaud what Brian's doing, but now that he's doing this, it's now a four part series. I'm going to do the fourth. So, it's interesting because he's saying, I applaud what Brian's doing, but he was supposed to, you know, he was a co-writer on it and got top billing on it. So the question is, did he get top billing just for the sake of it? And this was actually Brian Azzarello's story just as a way for DC to sell it or something else. So, I mean, like 
that's something to consider too. But that's There's just no talking about the that longevity. DC would put Frank Miller's name on toilet paper if they thought it would sell. That's true. <laughs> so I think I mean I really do think that he was frustrated um, with the lack of control, um, and I think that's where those comments came from. That was the interview I was referencing. Um, but like I said, I don't think he's doing that well. Um, so we'll see if he ever has the energy to, to make that come to pass. Yeah. And sometimes think some things are better left unannounced, unrevealed for the sake of just not letting it be. I mean, we went into DK three as it billed as the final chapter in the dark Knight returns series. And then like, it wasn't even a month after the first issue was released that he was saying those comments. So it is what it is. Anyway, um, other things to discuss. You guys have anything that you'd like to discuss? Um, I'll try to do it because I actually have to go very soon and just something just come up. But um, I think the only point I'll say is that like, uh, and I think Ian can probably kind of follow this up, um, that I really like how this feels kind of like an alternate version of how things would have turned out. It doesn't feel too singular towards the Dark Knight Returns thing because it's like, you know, like Bruce is getting old, Jason's gotten older, he's gotten darker. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of back and forth as to how dark Jason was in the original comics and how dark it should be kind of retroactively. But I like it where it's just kind of, you know, little moments, you know, kind of imply that he enjoys kind of hurting people, you know, kind of disobeying things, kind of being really anxious. And I love that scene uh, at the end where batman actually says we're we need a rest we're staying in bed like and you always see batman kind of like disobey alfred and do that and jason's the one kind of rush back out there um i really like that and i thought that like the portrayal of the of the batman and robin relationship in this because it's jason todd was really cool and i love the artwork as well i, I thought that like they were uh, illustrated really well so i i again um this story really impressed me because I really wasn't looking forward to it when it was announced. And when I read it, I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. It's, it was one of my favorite stories of the year. And I think that maybe it won't stand the test of time in terms of, you know, notoriety, but I'll certainly remember it for a while because I, I think that this was, uh, like, I, I, I approved of every kind of characterization they had in this, even though I thought the Joker stuff was a bit impenetrable. That didn't really bother me. So, um, yeah, I, I just liked the kind of like the Batman and Robin dynamic in this as, as dark as it was. I thought it was appropriately dark. All right. Hey, so did you have anything else to talk about, or did you want to jump on to that point? Um, well, I think Donovan makes uh, really excellent points. I think that uh, this, I think what he said about how it doesn't seem it's like necessarily tied to being Dark Knight Returns. Like, obviously, it does slide very neatly into that slot, but it could also just be this is the way it would go with Batman if you had stopped telling stories in the 80s and this is just the way that Batman. Um, continuity would play out. Um, there's a big contingent of Jason Todd fans, obviously. Um, that's why the Red Hood book is still a thing seven years after it started. Um, people love Jason Todd. And when you say things like, oh, Jason was too reckless, you know, like they, they get really mad at you. I have not read The Diplomat's Son. I've seen some pages from it, but I haven't read it. Um, So I don't know historically if Jason Todd was the quote-unquote wild or dangerous or dark Robin. Um, But that's certainly the narrative that DC has gone with for the last, well, since he came back in 2005. Uh, He's the dark Robin, the the Robin who Batman failed, who who may or may not have failed Batman, um, and who became something of a villain. So I think that the way this book examines Jason Todd is perhaps why I think this could be 
an intriguing expansion. Like if, if they did decide to put another artist and writer on the Dark Knight universe, um, I'd be interested in, in seeing more of this Jason. Because in Dark Knight Returns, Jason hadn't died. Death in the Family hadn't happened when Dark Knight Returns said he was dead. So we don't know if this Jason has the same backstory of stealing the hubcaps off the Batmobile. Like seeing that relationship would be, I think, a very interesting choice. I definitely agree. I think that I honestly, the thing is, I'm always a huge fan of how things become how they are. I like learning how, you know, it, those of the people out there, listeners out there who listen to me talk about detective comics and how recently I've been talking about Mudface and how I really hope the Mudface stuff gets explained or first victim, which I'm sure that stuff will based off the latest issue. I'm sure that some of that stuff is going to get explained, but it's one of those things where I really want to know how things became how they are. You know, I want to know how the relationships became established the way they are. It's just, that's, that's how I am. I always want to learn the history of things Estelle was here. She'd give me crap because I said the word history. So the history, I'll do it because she's not here. Um, But basically the idea is I love the idea. So, I mean, like if they were to do something where it was a continuation or even more of a prelude to this, this specific um, story, that would be interesting. It would be interesting to see what exactly, how exactly everything came to be the way it is. You know, definitely there's things that are different. Bruce is actually still a little bit older than he is. Uh, well, he's, he's, he's probably about 10 years older than what he is currently in normal continuity. So it's not as if, you know, this is still taking place in the future. Even if you went a little bit further back, you jumped another 10 years back, you know, you could learn the story of the other Robins that they're referencing and things like that. It would be, some of that stuff would be really cool to, to learn, to figure out. So definitely agree that if they were to expand, Although I do not think it's necessary for them to stay true to keeping Frank Miller on these these titles, um, I definitely think that there is definitely room for them to expand if they wanted to. Uh, let's see. I have a couple of notes. Let's see if we have hit all of them. I think the last thing I had um, was in Dark Knight Returns, there's a real sense that Batman enjoys being Batman. Now, that could just be the thrill of being back after being retired for 10 years. But him saying, I never enjoyed hurting criminals, and Jason does, seems a bit contradictory to what you see in Dark Knight Returns. So I think that's part of the effect I mentioned at the beginning, where Frank Miller is much older. He's um, 30 years older than when he wrote and drew Dark Knight Returns. And I think that his perspective, his ability to write an older Batman has grown. Um, So I would be very curious to see what his idea of Batman is. I I mean, I'm almost tempted, not completely because it was kind of a slog, but almost tempted to go back and reread Dark Knight 3 just to see what his Batman is like in that one. Um, I can assure you, you're not missing out on a whole lot. And I don't say that, you know, I don't say that half-heartedly. I I mean, we we reviewed all eight issues, and if it wasn't for Ed pushing us to review that on the main comic cast, we probably would have skipped it because it was Outside of continuity, and ever since that specific series, I have held held true to the outside of continuity because there's been some great stuff that's re- released recently, and I've just stuck to if it's outside of continuity, we're just not going to cover it. Honestly, like <clears throat> if there's fans out there and listeners who read Dark Knight Three and really enjoyed it, feel free to comment and tell me I'm an idiot and tell me why you enjoyed it. I'd love to read those on one of the upcoming Comic Cast episodes that we have, um, but. I just didn't really enjoy it. 
I mean, like I said, I just felt like it was more of like a Superman story. There was way too many members of the Justice League that were appearing just for the sake of seemingly appearing. It felt like every episode or every issue had a guest guest appearance by somebody. And then they somehow got played into the story. Sure. But it just, I don't know. Well, the Long fact that they don't go into it by an issue. I mean, the fact that they went from, was it seven to eight? I think it was. It was eight to nine. Eight to nine. Eight to it's nine. just like, it was clearly a cash grab on DC's part. Like there, there was not enough story to fill that many issues. Yeah, there really wasn't. I mean, the thing is there was also, the other part of it was also the, the price point was, was higher than most of the other books. The first issue sold like they had, I mean, a crazy number of variants for the first issue. First issue sold like a quarter of a million copies or something, or I think it was even higher than that. I can't remember exactly what the numbers were, but it was crazy, crazy high. And at the time, I hadn't seen anything even come close to that as far as DC's Batman sales numbers and things like that. So it was in, it was insane numbers. And by <laughs> by any means, I was just it was one of those things. By by the time it was done, because there was a delay, the Last Crusade came out in the middle of it where they said they were taking a break, but the break ended up being longer than the issue started coming out every two months instead of every month. And it just kind of got dragged down by the fact that it was like, just end this, kill it while it's, you know, like put it out of its misery. Okay. Well, I mean, so, I'm looking at Doomsday Clock. Um, if you count both. The exact same thing. <laughs> if you look at Doomsday Clock Lenticular plus the regular, it sold almost a quarter of a million. Uh, yeah, it was like it, it didn't sell as well. I remember that when the first issue came out for Doomsday. It also didn't have as many crazy variants. That's true. Um, Doomsday Clock, although I, I I've really been enjoying that. But okay, oh, yeah, anyway, I, last, last Crusade. Let's talk Last Crusade. So uh, wrapping up Last Crusade, I'm going to give Last Crusade a total of four out of five. Four point five out of five batterings. Um, I think if I went by craftsmanship, I would give it a four out of five. If, if I went for my personal investment, I'd go three to five. So I'm going to split the difference and say 3.5 out of five is my rating of this one. All right. And this issue, when it did release, did was actually reviewed over on the site by Matthew. So he gave it four and a half out of five. So that's going to give Batman. No, not Batman. That's going to give The Dark Knight Returns, The Last Crusade, number one, a total of four out of five Batarangs. That is our one and only book this episode, because as I said, this was a special episode. So with that, we're going to wrap everything up. I I encourage you to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course, the comics. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer. There's new episodes of Bat Books for Beginners. There's new episodes of Batgirl to Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, and all the other podcasts that we have to offer over on the website. Also, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And if you have any comments about this issue, this issue that we discussed specifically on this episode, or you have any other comments that you'd like us to touch on on an upcoming episode of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, be sure to leave your comments in the po- in the comment section below in the post on the website. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. And thank you for having me on. Thank you for uh, talking this story with me. And I'll catch you guys later. This is Ian, and I invite all you Frank Miller lovers to come at me. <laughs> all right. And uh, that is everything for this episode. We'll see you guys just in one week.